0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And um, I I just want to say, like, sometimes when I get up here and teach, a lot of the times I feel like it's more for me. Like, these are things that the Lord is showing me, and I just hope that it resonates in some way, that the Lord shows you something, that you grow in this as well. And so uh, this has been a really cool letter for me to dig into so much more. We could have gotten so much deeper into some things, but um, it's been really cool for me to study this. And quite frankly, I thought, you know, we should just go around this again next year. But I'm excited next year to go through through Revelation and all that. But um, uh, just know that I want to go through this again. But Anyways, all that to say, I've really enjoyed uh, this little letter from Paul to Titus. And I did some research on letters this week, and it's about as thrilling as it sounds. Like, I I looked up letters, love letters, lost letters, historical letters. I I just read all kinds about letters. But I came across one story that I thought was really funny. I got a little chuckle at. It was a story about a boy who was praying to God to receive $100. And he wanted $100 so bad. So every day for a week, he was praying, God, would you give me $100? God, would you give me $100? God, would you give me $100. Well, the week came and it went and he did not get his $100. And so he's like, well, maybe I'm going to write a letter. So he writes a letter to God, addressed to God. And so he sends in. When the post office gets this letter, they don't know what to do with it. Like they can't just send it to God. So they're like, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to send it to Washington, D.C., so the letter goes to Washington, D.C., and the president's aides, they're reading through all these letters that the president gets, and they come across this little boy's letter, and they were amused and touched by this letter, and so they thought, well, you know what? We're gonna send this on to the president. He needs to read this. And he read it, and he was amused, and he was touched by this letter, and he told his aides, Hey, would you send five dollars to this little boy? That's a lot of money for a little boy. Now, it's not today. This is not a whole lot of money, right? Like it gets you about a gallon of gas and maybe some eggs. Like that's about it right now. But uh, it was a lot of money for this little boy. So they send the money. And a few days later, the boy gets the the letter and he opens it up and he sees that he's got $5. And he's so excited. He's overjoyed that he's like, I'm going to write God a thank you note. And this is what he said. He says, dear God, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it through Washington, D.C., And as usual, they kept most of it, right? (laughs) It's the truth, right? Like they, they keep most of it. And so I thought that was kind of funny this week, but here's the reality. The Bible is a set of letters from God to us. Uh, Some of these letters are written by John. Some of these letters are written by Paul. Some are written by Peter. Some of these are narrative. Some of these are historical. Some of them are poetic. But these are all letters inspired by the Holy Spirit from God to us. And they speak about a loving God and the character of God. And over the last several weeks, if you've been here, you know that we've been talking about Paul writing this letter to a young pastor named Titus. And Titus is responsible for the church in Cree. And uh, Paul really gives Titus his mission, what he's supposed to do. In, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, hey, you need to set straight the things that are crooked. And so Titus, that's his task. And, and the way that Paul starts all this out in, in chapter 1, he's like, hey, you're not supposed to just leave and go out. You need to have a faithful presence in that city. You need to be there and live. And the first task that he gives them is that he, needs to, that he needs to make sure that there is healthy leadership, that the church has people leading, setting the right pace, the right tone for the people there in Creed. And then he tells them, hey, there's false doctrines going on. There's false teachings. And so he's like, they're disrupting whole, whole households. So you need to deal with that as well. And then he talks about how a healthy church should function together in the different stages of life. That whether you're an older man, a younger uh, man, an older woman, a younger woman, that we are all supposed to function in a healthy way in the different stages of life. And then he talks about our workplace, that we could be a faithful presence in the workplace. And he says that the only way any of this is possible is by the grace of God. And here we come to the very end of this letter. And I think for many of us, myself included, we can easily read final greetings like the one we're about to read here at the end of Titus. We could easily read this final greeting or really the beginning greetings of New Testament letters. And we don't really think much of these things. We just kind of read it and move on. Like, I don't know. I don't think any of us here today have this section memorized. I don't think for many of us, we have much highlighted. We just kind of read these things and we keep moving on. I've even heard greetings in um, the Bible, New Testament greetings, are kind of like the sandwiches that we eat. There's a lot of meat in the middle, but it's kind of dry and crusty on the ends, and so we just kind of want to cut those things out and not pay much attention to them. But when we come to greetings like this, I think we can easily go, wow, this is really boring. Like, this is just a bunch of names. Like, Nate, how are you going to get a sermon out of this? I don't know. I was asking myself that same thing this week. Like, was there a sermon in any of this at all? But I think for many of us, we go, this is boring, but these things aren't boring or things that we should ignore or skip by and just kind of think nothing about it. Because listen, nothing in the Bible is here by mistake. Everything that is here has a purpose. And there's a purpose behind these greetings and a purpose behind the names that we're going to read here. And really what I found out this week is that there are more lessons than names for us today. And so if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is Lessons from Ordinary People. Lessons from Ordinary People. Pick up verse 12 of chapter 3. Paul says these final words to Titus. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Verse 15, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now this might look like a random list of names or kind of Paul's agenda or his itinerary, things that he wants to do. But again, I think there are more lessons than names here. And really, I think this final paragraph here, his final words summarize everything we've been talking about over the last several weeks now, that we can be this faithful presence in the city, in our culture, a faithful presence in the church, in our workplace, that we could be this faithful presence that we are called to be. And really what I see is that we need each other, we need to serve each other, and it's all about grace. So let's look at the first one, It's that we need each other. One of the things that Paul's final greeting teaches us is that there are no unimportant people, that we don't need just one person in our lives, but a variety of people in our lives. And we kind of get a glimpse into these people that make up Paul's team. Look again at verse 12. It says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. Again, we've been talking about this. Paul is writing this to Titus. Titus is leading the church in Crete. A lot of what Paul's been writing about is, hey, make sure your behavior lines up with your beliefs. He's talking about all these doctrinal issues, all these ways that we should be living. But here at the very end of this letter, we are reminded that Paul, even though he's a spiritual giant, Paul, even though he's a man who wrote one third of the New Testament, Paul was a man who needed encouragement and support from other people. This isn't Paul, like, hey, I'm Paul the theologian, you know? It's not Paul, you know, I'm the guy who writes one-third of the New Testament up in my ivory towers. I don't need people anymore. But this is Paul. He's a man who shows the importance of having other people around him sharing life with him. See, Paul knows that he needs relationships. Relationships. And I think for some of us, when we come to a verse like this and we see that Paul is asking Titus to join him in Nicopolis, I think for a lot of us, we think, well, Paul just needed Titus there so that he can encourage him some more, uh, instruct him some more, pour into him more because he has other things for Titus to do. And that's true. Paul uses Titus in other ways, and I'm sure those things happened, but I think there's something a little bit more here as well. See, Paul understands that relationships are a source of encouragement. How do we know this? Well, Paul wrote another letter, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. See, this is what I love. Paul's like, hey, I need you in my life just as much as I need to be in your life. I need what you have to offer just as much as you need what I have to offer. And so Paul wanted to spend time with Titus. Again, I'm sure to train, to teach, to pour into. I also think he just wanted Titus there so that he could be refreshed. It's a beautiful picture of the church. That though we may have diversity in experiences and knowledge, we can stand side by side and encourage one another. See, I've met people who think, well, I'm growing as a Christian, so I don't need people anymore. I'm super spiritual right now. Like, it's just me and the Father, we're on the mountain. I'm just listening to the Father. I've outgrown my need for people. But see, spiritual maturity doesn't mean that we need people less. It means that we love people more. Amen. If you've encountered God, if you're really growing, if you're really spiritually mature, you will engage with people more, not less, because anyone who is mature knows that we need people in our lives. Amen. Again, how do we know this? Just go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis. In the beginning, God created everything, the heavens and the earth, right? And he creates everything. He's like, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. First time he says something's not good, it's when he looks at him, the guy, and he says, that's not good, right? And all the men right there say amen because he makes a helper, a woman, right? So, guys, that's really a good place to say amen. Like, it's, yeah, okay, <laughs> trying to help you out, all right? Get home today and say, it's not good. I, I'm so glad that God created you to be in my life, you know? But he needed, he needed to be in relationship. When we look at the Trinity, it's God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. He is a community in and of himself. And so we need other people in our lives. And so Paul is like, Hey, Titus, I need you to hang out with me in Nicopolis because I'm going to spend the winter there. I thought of it this week, kind of like if Paul was like, Hey, Nate, I need you to come hang out with me in Florida because it's getting winter. I'm getting a little old and I'm just going to go South for the winter. Right. I'm going to hang out in Florida. That's kind of the modern day version of what this means. But why is Paul drawing our attention to the city, Nicopolis? Why, why is he talking about this? Well, I read this week that for wintertime, traveling in the winter, it's terrible. It's terrible with the snow and all that stuff. So this area would have been a lot easier to travel for. Great travel route as well. Uh, that Paul no doubt had his eyes set on the west, that he wanted to go to Spain. And, and all of that, I'm sure, is true. But here's the thing: I don't think we need to overthink this at all. I think it's a really simple application here—that sometimes we need to spend time with great people in a great place. See, Nicopolis in the Greek—it's Nike Town. That's what it's translated, right? Like, and that really means Victory Town. Like, that's where he wants to go. He's like, "Hey, Titus, come join me in Victory Town." It's be like, "Yeah, let's go." You know, like it sounds like a fun time, right? Like, that's the whole point. This was an intentional way to spend time with Titus for some encouragement. Maybe, again, pouring into, instructing, all of that. But I think also maybe just to laugh. Maybe they were going to play a board game. Definitely not Monopoly. Like if you're married, dating, whatever. I still remember the first fight Jen and I ever had. It was a game of Monopoly. Like that's, she was not giving me the deal of, like I was giving her such a deal. And she did not see it that way. And so we got into a fight. Guess what? Never played Monopoly again. All right? So but maybe they played Settlers of Catan, you know? So they're just kind of there. They're playing a game, maybe hanging out, laughing with each other, but I don't want you to miss this. We need to be intentional about making plans and saying, hey, I wanna get together with these people. And we're gonna talk about some things. We're gonna talk about the Lord. We're gonna hang out together. We're gonna learn, we're gonna grow. I wanna know how's the Lord using you? What's the Lord doing in your life? Let's pray with one another. Hey, let's talk about life. This is what's going on with me. This is what's going on with you. It's being intentional with spending time with each other. This is so important for our health. We need other people to be present in our lives. This week, I was on social media and a news story came across my feed that said that studies are showing that gathering together in church, there is a decrease in anxiety, depression, a lot of mental illness that we feel. It's gathering together being with one another. Listen, I love the live stream that we have. I love the technology that we have to be able to stream the services. So if you're sick or you're traveling or you're just unable to come for a lot of reasons or maybe you've PCS and you're trying to find a new church, but you're like, I still wanna be connected to a church body. I love the fact that we have technology to do those things. But listen, that should never replace gathering together. If we are able to, and we can, we should always gather together. It's healthy for us because we need each other. But think about it like this. I'm sure a lot of us, we've all gone through seasons where we have suffered terribly. We found ourselves in valleys and we're wondering, is this ever going to end? Can I ever get out of all of this? But then somebody showed up and they spent time with you. And a lot might not have been said in those moments, but I'm sure you're thankful that they were just there, that their presence mattered. I can look back in my own life and there are times where I found myself in a valley. I found myself going through something bad. And there were people who were just there for me. Not a lot was said about what what I was going through, but their presence mattered to me. We need each other. But notice something else. None of this can happen until the replacements show up. Why did Titus need to wait for replacements? Because the church needed a leader. Titus couldn't just bail on them He needed someone to stand in their place because people matter. See, Paul is aware of the state of the church. That's why he wrote what he wrote. But he also has concerns for the future of the church. Titus is a key leader on the church in Crete, but he was not going to be there long term. Maybe that's why Paul in chapter one is like, hey, Titus, guess what? You need to find people to be elders. You need to find people to be pastors, to be leaders in the church, because you're not going to be there for very long. Titus was going to transition out. But there needed to be someone to stand in his place. And here's the point. Every single one of us serves a different role within the church. No matter if it's a big role or a small role, all roles are important in the church. But if someone is being called into a season where you need to step out or you need to leave that role, it is your responsibility to replace yourself. Why? Because people matter we need each other. I don't think for a lot of us, we really understand just how important this is. We are trained. When I make a decision, it's based on my own desires for my own purposes. And so when there is a new opportunity for many of us, we're like, hey, here's my two weeks. Peace out. I'm leaving. I'm gone. But that should not be the case when it comes to the church. We care about these ministries. We care about all this. Why? Because people matter. Whether you serve in a small group, whether you serve on the Awaken Kids team, the worship team, the media team, the security team, the, uh, the uh, kind of greeting team, whatever team you find yourself serving on here this weekend or, or uh, here at Awaken, your presence matters because people, the people you're serving matter. If God is calling you to out to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do or to use your gifts in a different way, hey, that's great, but be faithful to find your replacement, Don't just leave it to someone else. Don't just be faithfully serving and awakening kids and then go, see ya, Mindy. (laughs) Have fun finding somebody for the four-year-olds. Oh, we should find somebody, be bringing somebody along, finding our replacements. Why? Because we all care about our kids. You may not know all the kids here, but guess what? You should care about them because we have parents who are trying to teach their kids in the way of the Lord. We care about the Lord. We care about our kids. We care about groups. You're not supposed to go like, well, this has been great. We've been growing as a group, but peace out, good luck. No, we find a leader. We replace it so that there can continue to be a fanning in the flame. The, The ability, the growth that we're seeing, we find these replacements. If there's one thing that the pastoral letters make clear is that part of being faithful is trusting the things that you've learned to others who are faithful so that it just continues to be passed on. And so Paul's like, hey, Titus, come hang out with me, but don't do it until you've passed the baton. And that's why he says, wait for Artemas. Now, this is the only place his name is mentioned in all of the New Testament. And so we don't know much about Artemas. Some have speculated that he might have had same character qualities or the same characteristics that Tychicus has because they're mentioned side by side. Some have even said Artemius is the one who actually took over all of this because then Titus went with Paul to go do other things. And uh, then, of course, it was speculated that eventually Titus came back and took over the church as he kind of retired from ministry, kind of started where, ended where he started. But, um, but we don't know if Artemius was the one. But then he moves on and he says Tychicus. And Tychicus, we know a little bit about. Uh, in fact, it's described that he is described as a faithful servant and a dear brother. But I also found out this week that he was a letter carrier for Paul as well, that no doubt he carried this letter, but he also carried the letter of Ephesians and the letter of Colossians. So he's the one who dropped those things off, that he delivered those letters. But then there's another person. We see Zenos, the lawyer. This is a guy we don't know much about either, but we know he's a, probably a good guy to have on the team because of his Greek name and the fact that a lawyer is attached to him. Also, maybe the fact that Paul had a lawyer on his team just shows just how much grace God has uh, for everyone. Good lawyer joke, right? Like No lawyer jokes? Are we not not a lawyer joke crowd? Okay. Maybe it wasn't a good joke, I'll take that. But, But he was more likely an expert in Greek and Roman law. But then he says Apollos. And Apollos, we do know a little bit about. He's mentioned in different places in the New Testament. Luke in Acts chapter 18 tells us that Apollos was an intelligent and eloquent speaker, but he didn't know the fullness of the gospel. And so the story goes in Acts chapter 18 that Priscilla and Aquila, this married couple, and what a married couple too, right? Like that's a powerful couple. They've got names that rhyme. Like that's just how great that couple is. But Priscilla and Aquila, they come in and they teach him the fullness of the gospel and the importance of that. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they knew the importance of needing each other. And of course, we learn later on that Apollos goes on to Corinth to take over a church that Paul started. So we see that Apollos was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, did great things for the Lord. But here's what I love about this list. This is what I want us to take away from this list, is that some of these people we know a lot about, some of these people we know nothing about. But the lesson is, we don't need to have a huge title to play an important role. In fact, if we value status, we diminish usefulness and we're going to miss out on the many ways that we can care for people. Whether we know these people or not, they were valuable to Paul. These were, these were guys on Paul's team. They were valuable to him and they mattered most to him in ministry. So here's what this means for you. You might be here today and you might think, well, nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody knows what I can do but just because nobody knows you or knows that much about you or knows everything that you can do doesn't make you any less important. Listen, you're not here to serve. So you're like, oh, maybe one of the pastors will notice me. You're not here so that other people notice you and go, oh man, look at that person. They're such a servant. I know. It's just a gift a talent that I got. It's like, it's just who I am. I don't do that. We serve because we're serving Jesus. Everything that we do is for Jesus and for his glory, pointing to our savior. That's why we do what we do. Jesus is the one who ultimately sees us. He's the one that matters. But when you step out and you do use your gifts, you will see, man, I play an important role in the lives of other people. We just had baptisms, this last uh, in-between services, and I got to see that. People playing important roles in lives of other people, sharing the gospel, growing, talking about life. We saw all of that play out. Listen, when I got up here, I didn't say, hey, turn to the person next to you and say, I don't need you anymore. Like, that's weird, right? Like, hey, I don't need you. Like, that's not, that doesn't sound, that's not biblical. That sounds odd, right? We need each other because people matter. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the church as a body, he says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You can't turn to the person next to you and say, I don't need you. We need each other. We are a body. We're a community. Listen, it's by no mistake that you are here in 2023 with your giftings, with your talents, with your resources, with what God has put on your heart, with the people. It is by no mistake that you are here and you are here for such a time as this. Each and every one of us plays an important role. We're all in this together. No one is more important than another. And listen, there's no such thing as an unimportant person in God's kingdom. God cares about every single person. And he uses all of us to accomplish his work, his purposes in this world. Again, I mentioned it. Uh, No doubt, these guys are the ones carrying this letter to Crete to give to Titus. But like I said, Tychicus, he's a guy who literally carried letters. Now, if you were to sit Tychicus down and you were to say, hey, man, This is the job I have for you. You're a letter carrier. Do you think he was like, oh, man, come on. Like, that's my role. I just carry letters around. Don't you know who I am? But think about this. If you sat him down you're like, hey, man, you're going to carry letters. And these letters are going to outlast Roman empires. These letters are going to outlast Caesars. These letters are going to be brought to these churches. They're going to change these churches. But then God is going to use these letters to change people for thousands of years later. There are going to be people who come to know the Lord, who are going to understand him better, are going to be encouraged by all of these things. Do you think Tychicus would have been like, well, I don't want that job. I don't want that role. That's beneath me. I'm sure he's like, man, whatever, in whatever way I can be used in God's kingdom, I want God to use me. We need each other because people matter. But secondly, we need to serve each other. Look again at verse 13. It says, see that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent needs and not be unfruitful. As followers of Jesus, the way that we show that we are His people, the way that we show that we belong to Jesus, is by the way that we practice our faith. It's by the way that we love each other and serve each other. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, ask yourself can this be marked of my life? Do I love other people? Do I serve other people? Do I consider other people more important than myself? Being generous to one another matters because it's how we express our love. See, love is something we just love to throw around in our culture. We love to throw around in theory, but we rarely follow it up in practice. In fact, I love what John Stott once said. He said, if we say we love everybody in general, that's usually an excuse to love nobody in particular. Right? Like that's what we hear in our culture. I love everybody. Well, can you help me out here? No. We say it in the church. I love, we love everybody, but can you serve these people over here? They're really in need. No, I'm too busy with myself. What Paul is getting at here is, hey, would you provide money, supplies, food, whatever they need? These people I'm sending to you, will you provide for them so that they lack nothing? And it becomes a teachable moment because in verse 14, the language that he uses is something he said all throughout this letter, and it's good works. So what does it mean to devote ourselves to good works? It means to have a change in our lifestyle. See, the word in the original uh, Greek, it means to learn through practice. So we are to change our lifestyle through practice. So how does this play out in our lives? It's when we begin to think and plan and say, how do I budget in order to bless? How do I budget my time and my resources to bless other people? So here's the challenge. This week, when you're planning out your week and your next month and all that other stuff, sit down and think, okay, God wants me to devote myself to good works. So how do I spend my money? How can I spend my money to devote myself to good works? Am I giving to the church? We're coming up on the holiday season. Am I setting money aside because Thanksgiving's coming up? Maybe somebody can't afford Thanksgiving. You know, Maybe... um, you know, they're, they're, uh, Christmas is coming, there might be some kids who can't get presents or we're gonna hear of some needs and stuff. So are we setting aside some of our resources in order to bless other people? Jen and I have done this before. We, we make it kind of a, a practice when we hear about something, we wanna be able to bless some people, be able to set some money aside so that we can bless other people. We try to teach our kids this. Doesn't always go well, but we're trying to teach our kids this when it comes to your time, are you setting time aside saying, hey, I want to pour into others and I want others to pour into me. Are you doing what Paul said? Hey, I need what you have and you have what I, and you need what I have. And so are you budgeting your time to disciple one another, to grow with one another? Are you spending time to be in group with one another? Are you spending time to serve one another, serve here at the church? When we live this way, our lifestyle will change, but it only comes through practice. And when we start practicing this, not waiting until we've perfected, but we start practicing it, guess what happens? We look way different than our culture and the people around us. And notice that this is not just brought to Titus himself, but it's brought to the whole church. Titus is supposed to call the whole church to do these good works. I've met people who've been like, well, I tithe so that the pastor and the church staff can do the good works for me. Listen, that's not how this thing works. Church is not a product that you just buy into and you kind of just, it's not a country club, all right? That's what it is. The call for pastors are to train people to do the work of the ministry. That's what it's called. That's what we're called to do. We're called to spur you on, to be involved in your neighborhood, to be involved in your work, to train you up, to say, hey, there's this need. We need to serve this. We are trying to train you up to do the work of the ministry. And in a culture where we're all determined to get, we need to be a church determined to give. So don't be surprised when myself or one of the other pastors comes up here and we're like, hey, we all need to change our lifestyle, self-included. We all need to change our lifestyle so that we can bless this family, so we can do these things, so we can make an impact in this area. We need generous hands and generous homes. And the reason why Paul wants us to devote ourselves to good works is so that we aren't unfruitful. Paul not only wants to make sure that the needs of these people that he's sending make sure that their needs get met, but he also wants to make sure that they are living fruitful lives, that they aren't hypocrites. We've talked about hypocrites a few times in this series, right? But it's where we say one thing, but we do something else. Even James, a couple months ago, we talked about this very same thing. James wants to make sure that we're not saying one thing and we're doing something else, but that our beliefs line up with our behavior. And when our beliefs and behavior line up, then we are living fruitful lives. But when they are separated, where we're saying one thing, but doing another thing, we are living unfruitful lives. And we need to be reminded of this sober warning that Paul gives Titus in Titus 1 about false prophets. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Paul doesn't want us to be that way. He doesn't want us to be characterized that way. So that's why he's like, hey, don't be unfruitful. And he's using a metaphor of fruit growing from a tree to talk about his deep concern for the souls of the people. If you're a follower of Jesus, then a new root has been planted in you that should produce fruit through you. See, the evidence of an open heart to God is an open heart to people. But a closed heart to people shows a closed heart to God. God is pleased when we devote ourselves to good works, when we seek to serve others, because ultimately it reflects his character, what he did when God sent his only son Jesus to this earth to live and die and rise again. Even Jesus famously said, I did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and give my life away for ransom for many. This is why the New Testament always talks about generosity, good works, hospitality, over and over again, it talks about these things, that we should be doing these things, not because good works, generosity, hospitality save you. It's just the evidence that you have been saved. It's the evidence that there has been transformation that has taken in your place. It's evidence that you do look different than the culture. It comes out of you. Listen, we're not going to be able to provide for everyone's needs but as much as we can, let's commit to this. See, the goal that the sacrificial service of Christians should be is that it would point people to the sacrifice of Jesus. So we need to serve each other. That's what we should pursue. But the reason why all of this matters is because of grace. And that's our third and final point today. It's all about grace. This is how Paul closes his letter in verse 15. It says, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul, in his final words, his final greeting to Titus, emphasizes the main point of this entire letter, and it is grace. That everything we are called to do is based on Grace. Grace is found in every chapter of this book. It starts off in chapter one, that grace flows from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Chapter two, it talks about how grace is available through us, through the appearing of Jesus, who came and died and rose again, and that grace is a teacher that teaches us to change. Chapter three, we're told that grace is the reason we can be saved. Grace, grace, grace. It's all about grace. Grace is what motivates us to do what we do in the church, but grace is also what motivates us to do what we do in the world. And don't miss this. In a culture where it says, hey, do good so that you can receive praise, as followers of Jesus, we're told to do good because of what we've already been given. Doing good is not a way of earning God's favor, it's a way of showing God's favor. You don't get involved in the life of the church so that you can earn gold stars. With God, it's a response to the grace that's already been given to you. And these closing words, these kind of closing remarks here, are are really a, a prayer from Paul to the people in Crete, and he prays for grace. But why does he pray for grace? Because of all the challenges that Titus is up against with the Cretan culture, the drama in the church, everything that was crooked that Titus needed to straighten out, The thing that he needed most was grace. So let me ask you, what's the thing that you need most in 2023 going into 2024? You need grace. What do you need most in the cultural storm that we're in? You need grace. What do you need most when you're faced with the moral and the social chaos happening all around us? You need grace. What do you need to do when you face all the drama in the church? Because guess what? The church is always full of drama. What do you need most when you face drama in the church? You need grace. And here's why. There are times that when Christians are under pressure of the culture or pressure under all the drama, we can become ungracious. I know this to be true in my own life. There's times I thought this week about pressure I was under or drama that's going on in the church, and I found myself being graceless. I didn't have the grace that I needed in the moment. I've seen this play out in groups in the church. People get mad something happens in the group and they end up attacking one another. They become graceless. When times are tough, we can be graceless. And it comes out in the way that we talk. It comes out in the way that we act. But listen, cultural pressure should not drive us away from grace, but deeper into grace. Grace the longer you follow Jesus, at least I've seen this to be true in my own life, but the longer I follow Jesus, the more I see my need for grace. The more that I'm reminded of what grace and what Christ has done for me. See, people need to see the love of God that comes from the grace of God. And notice Paul here, he's not talking about specific individuals here. He doesn't give us a list of other people who need to be gracious, but he says all of us need this, right? That's why he says, Grace be with you all. Paul's like, I want all of you to experience all of God's gracious and loving presence. And in praying that grace is with us, he's really praying that Christ is with us. That even in the midst of the storm, with all the strong winds of sin and self centeredness blowing, we can set a course to Jesus and live countercultural lives for the common good. Why? Because of grace. You can be that faithful presence in your home, in your workplace, in the church, that faithful presence in our culture, in the city, because of Jesus's presence within us. And so here's what I want to challenge us with today as we close out this letter. Two things. One, some of you right now, you feel alone. And maybe you've grown a little bitter over it. Because you're like, well, nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. But let me ask you, have you reached out to someone? I love that Paul sets that example for us. He's like, hey, Titus, guess what? Come hang out with me. I need you to hang out with me here. He reaches out. Have you reached out? See, here in a moment, as we always do, we have pastors right up here in the front. And we're always wanting to pray with you. Maybe there's sin you need to confess. Maybe you need to receive Jesus. Maybe you just need prayer because your last week was tough and you're worried about this week. Maybe there's something going on in your life. We have people right up here. Come and receive prayer. You came with people. You serve with people. There's group, there's people that you do group with. Have you reached out to them and say, "Hey, I need prayer. Would you pray for me?" We need to reach out. But then on the flip side, there are people reaching out to you that you've ignored. But in God's eyes, these people are important too. Listen, you might not have the capacity or the bandwidth to meet all the needs of all the people, but you can help them get connected with someone who can. This is how the body of Christ functions together. If you're not able to meet those needs, point them to someone who can be a part of the solution. And here's another challenge for us today. Paul wanted Titus to set straight the things that got crooked and complete what was left unfinished. So let me ask you, Is there unfinished work that you are called to do? Is there a stirring that you feel like, man, I gotta get involved here, I gotta do these things, I have these giftings and I feel like the Lord's, is there an unfinished work that you need to do? Is there an unfinished work in your life that God needs to complete? Is there something that you need to confess, deal with right now? The question is, will you surrender yourself to the one who has surrendered himself for you? So that's the challenge. Reach out to someone. Get someone connected. And there's unfinished work to do. So are you willing to put your hands to the work that God wants to do? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash mystory.